Are we on? Hello, uh, and welcome to Infinite Cast, your podcast. Um, we're in we're in Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, and I only brought one microphone. <laughs> it's it's disturbing to see what we look like right now. Uh, so we're trying to share it. Yes, uh, this is true. We are we're we are snuggled up right next to each other. This is true couples podcasting <laughs> at its greatest. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you're really you're you're doing like the triumph the insult comic dog style. <laughs> yes. Yes, <laughs> I can't. You don't have more to say here. I have nothing more to say. <laughs> you keep switching it. God damn it! <laughs> All right. Start to stop being All right. So, um, Molly is going to start reading. I'll probably not have as much commentary in the middle because I'm not going to grab the mic out of her hand. Well, just raise your hand when you do have a comment and I'll hand it over to you. How about that? Okay, that sounds like it'll work. Anyway, here's the mic. Put up a flag. Put 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 the flag up. All right. We're still with Don. He's unwell. Uh we're just getting off of talking him talking with Pat or Pat Montesian talking to him. What made the whole interface with Pat M possibly unreal was that right at the end, for no reason, Pat M burst into tears. And for no reason, Gately got so embarrassed he pretended to pass out and slept again and probably dreamed. Almost certainly dreamed and unreal was the interval when Gately came up with a start and saw Mrs. Lopate, the object dart from the shed that they come and install next to the Ennett House viewer some days, sitting there in a gunmetal wheelchair, face contorted, head cocked, hair stringy, looking not at him but more like seemingly at whatever array of IV bottles and signifying monitors hung above and behind his big crib. So not speaking or even looking at him, but still in some sense being there with him somehow, even though there was no way she could have really been there. It was the first time Gately realized that the catatonic Mrs. L had been the same lady he'd seen touching the tree in number five's front lawn late at night some nights when he'd first come on staff, that they were the same person, and that this realization was real even though the lady's presence in the room was not, the complexities of which made his eyes roll up in his head again as he passed back out again. You remember the object dart from one of the other um, uh, VA complexes uh uh, buildings besides Ennett House. It's like a just a, a house of catatonic people. I remember the house of catatonic people. I thought that that was right across from Ennett House. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's in the same area. He sees it. Then at some later point, Joel Van Dyne was sitting in a chair just outside the railing of the bed, veiled, wearing sweatpants and a sweater that was starting to unravel in a pink bordered veil, not saying anything, probably looking at him, probably thinking he was unconscious with his eyes open or delirious with noxema. The whole right side of himself hurt so bad each breath was like a hard decision. He wanted to cry like a small child. The girl's silence and the blankness of her veil frightened him after a while, and he wished he could ask her to come back later. Nobody'd offer to him anything to eat, but he wasn't hungry. There were IV tubes going into the back of both hands and the crook of his left elbow. Other tubing exited him lower down. He didn't want to know. He kept trying to ask his heart if just codeine would be a relapse, according to the heart, but his heart was declining to comment. Then, at some point, Ended House alum and senior counselor Calvin Thrust came roaring in and pulled up a chair and straddled it backwards like a slow-teased stripper, slumping and draping his arms over the back of the chair, gesturing with an unlit Rodney as he spoke. He told Gately that, man, he looked like shit, something heavy had fell on. <laughs> but he told Gately he should get a gander of the other guys, the Nux in Polynesian wear. 
Yes. I just think that the phrase like a slow tease stripper sounds like something from uh, Professor Brothers. She came, she came sitting in like a slow tease stripper. <laughs> That's a good call. Uh, the Nux in Polynesian Ware. Thrust and the house manager had got there before EMPHH security could drag the finest away from issuing midnight street side citations down on Com Ave, he told Gately. Lens and Green and Alfonso Parias Carbo had dragged slash carried the passed out Gately inside and laid him on the black vinyl couch in Pat's office, where Gately had come to and told them Ixnay on the ambulance A and to please wake him up in five more minutes and then passed out for serious real. Parias Carbo seemed like he'd suffered a mild intestinal hernia from dragging slash carrying Gately, but he was being a man about it and had refused codeine downstairs at the ER and was expressing gratitude for the growth experience, and the thoracic lump was receding nicely. <laughs> he's, he's so big, he, he gives people a hernia just from carrying him. Calvin Thrust's breath smelled of smoke and old scrambled eggs. <laughs> Gately had once seen a cheap bootleg cartridge of a young Calvin Thrust having sex with a lady with only one arm on what looked like a crude homemade trapeze. The cartridge's lighting and production values had been real low quality, and Gately had been in and out of a Demerol nod, but he was 98% sure it had been the young Calvin Thrust. Calvin Thrust said how right there, right there over Gately's unconscious form in the office, Randy Lenz had been womaning right off about uh, how, how, of course, he, Randy Lenz, was going to get somehow blamed for Gately and the Nux getting fucked up. And why didn't they just get it over with and give him the administrative shoe right now without going through the sham motions of deliberating? Bruce Green had rammed Lenz up against Pat's cabinets and shaken him like a margarita, <laughs> but refused to rat out Lenz or say why irate can Canadians might think a specimen as dickless as Lenz might have demapped their friend. The matter was under investigation, but Thrust con confessed to a certain admiration for Green's refusal to eat cheese. Brucey e. G. had suffered a broken nose in the beef and now had a terrific set of twin shiners. Calvin Thrust said both he, Calvin Thrust, and the house manager had either immediate had immediately on arrival pegged lens as either coked up or drinned to the gills on some drin, and Thrust said he summoned every orida of self-control sobriety he'd blessed him with and had quietly taken lens out of the office into the special disabled bedroom next door, and over the sound of Bert F. Smith coughing up little pieces of lung in his sleep, he said he'd real controlledly given lens the choice of resigning uh, voluntary... Re sorry voluntarily resigning his Ennett residency on the spot or submitting to a spot urine and a room search and everything like that, plus to questioning by the finest, who were pretty doubtless even now en route with the fleet of ambulances for the Nux. Meanwhile, Thrust said, gesturing with a gasper and occasionally leaning forward to see whether Gately was still conscious and to tell him he looked like shit, meanwhile. <laughs> Gately had been lying there <laughs> just having the story and having him be like, boy, Gately, you look like fucking shit. I mean, the thing is, is that I would imagine, obviously, very difficult to imagine being in this circumstance. But that's it's kind of the 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 like shoulder punching realness that you want in that situation yeah. for somebody to, to not to be like, oh, you're you're being so strong, you're so brave, but yeah. to roll up and be like, let me tell you the dir the the dirty from back at the Annette house, boy, you look like <laughs> complete shit, man. There's a wait. Did I catch correctly that this guy is like? The chief counsel for the Ennett House? He's the senior counselor. So he's. Oh, the senior counsel. He's not like a lawyer for the house. No, he's not a lawyer. He's not the consigliere for the, uh, yeah. for the house. 
yeah, he's like he and Johnette and and uh, Gailey are like the th- three like working guys, I believe, and maybe one other person. It occurs to me that um, we have seen we've seen this moment from Joel's point of view because we had a scene with her wh- where we were with her watching Don sleep, and that also we have caught up with Lens post. Uh, the Canadian kerfuffle of him being even more insane and desperate and on the street. So it's it's funny that we have seen the forward in time from two parts of this, and now we are in the forward of time in the third part of it. Yeah, that is that is funny. Uh, Gately had been lying there, passed out, wedged with two full filing cabinets to keep him from rolling off the couch. He was wider than and was bleeding in a very big way, and nobody knew how to like affix a turnip cut. To a <laughs> to his shoulder, and the good-bodied new girl with a cloth mask was bending over the arm of the couch, applying pressure to towels on Gately's bleeding, and her partly open robe was yielding a view that even brought Alfonso PC around from his herniated fetal posture on the floor. And Thrust and the house manager were taking turns asking for help to intuitively know what they ought to do with Gately, because it was well known that he was on proby against a real serious bit. With all due trust and respect to Don, it wasn't clear at that point from the scattered, damaged Canadian form still in different prone positions out in the street who'd done what to who in defense of whatever or not. And the finest tend to take a keen interest in huge guys who come into ERs with spectacular gunshot wounds. And but then when Pat M pulled up in the Aventura lying, laying rubber a couple minutes later, she'd screamed rather unserenely at Thrust for not having already ricky-ticked Don Gately over to St. E's on his own already. Thrust said he'd let go of Pat's screaming like water off a duck, revealing that Pat M. had been under felony-weight domestic stress at home, he knew. He said, and but so, Gately was too heavy to carry unconscious for more than a few meters, even with the masked girl filling in for Pariah's Carbo, and they'd just barely got Gately outside still in his wet bowling shirt and laid him briefly on the sidewalk and covered him with Pat's black suede car coat while Thrust maneuvered his beloved Corvette up as close to Gately as possible. The sound of sirens on the way up Com Ave, mixed with the sounds of severely fucked up Canadians returning to whatever passed with Nux for consciousness and calling for what they called médecin, and <laughs> and with the crazed <laughs> squirrel sound of Lens trying to start his rusted out brown duster, which had a bad solenoid. Uh, oh, interesting. Lens has a car, but he's obviously, with the time we saw him after, when he's all coked up and freaked out, he ain't got no car. Yeah. So he he ran away on foot, I guess. They'd heaved Gately's dead weight in the vet, and Pat M drove interference like a madwoman in her turbocharged Aventura. Pat let the masked girl ride shotgun with her because the masked girl wouldn't quit asking to let her come too. I feel like I said this last week, but this happened to my dad. Uh, Similarly, uh, that he was in a... He was in a frat in college, and one of his frat mates was chasing. It, this is how I've heard the story: chasing him through the frat, uh, as as you know, college age boys are wont to do. And my dad had his hands out to push through a door, but the door had the like the glass with the like chicken wire in it. You know that institutional like yeah. gas that glass that has like wire yeah. in the middle of it. Yeah. Uh, he put his hand through one of those panes of window, shattered it, and the wire cut all up and down his arm in a spectacular fashion. Uh, and the guy who and he started bleeding profusely and the guy who was chasing him just said, oh, I don't like blood and turned and walked away. 
Uh, and my, so my dad was sitting there like staring at his, uh, bleeding forearm and another frat mate came through and was like, Oh damn, you got to get, get to the hospital, buddy. And my dad was like, how? And he was like, the other guy was like, I'll drive you, but it's a brand new car. So you got to stick your arm out the window. <laughs> yeah. These are both, uh, a Corvette and an Aventura, both yeah. nice cars. Uh, the house manager stayed behind to represent Ennett House to EMPHH security and the somewhat less bullshittable BPD finest. The sirens got steadily closer, which added to the confusion because senile and mobile, vegeta- mobile vegetable residents of both Unit 4 and the shed had been drawn out on the frozen lawns by the freakus. <laughs> the, mix, the mix of several kinds of sirens didn't do them a bit of good and they started flapping and shrieking and running around and adding to the medical confusion of the whole scene, which by the time him and Pat pulled out of there was a fucking mill house and everything like that. Thrust asked rhetorically, how much does Don fucking weigh anyway? Because moving the front buckets way up to where, like, dwarfs put them and putting Gately's carcass across the back seat of the vet had required all available hands, and even Bert F.S.'s stumps had been like trying to get something humongous through a door that's way smaller than the humongous thing was and everything like that. Thrust occasionally tapped his gasper like he thought it was lit. The first squad cars had come fishtailing around the Warren Com corner just as they all came out of the EM driveway onto Warren. Pat and her car up ahead had made an arm motion that could have been either waving coolly at the passing finest or uncoolly clutching her head. Thrust had said, had he mentioned Gately's blood? Gately bled all over Pat M's vinyl couch and filing cabinets and carpet. The little EM streetlet, the sidewalk, Pat M's black suede car coat, pretty much everybody's winter coats, and the beloved upholstery of Thrust's beloved Corvette, which upholstery Thrust might add had been new and dear. (laughs) But he said not to worry about it, Thrust said. The fucking blood was the least of the problems. Gately didn't like the sound of that at all and started trying to blink at him in a kind of crude code to get his attention, but Thrust either didn't notice it or thought it was like a post-operative tick. Thrust's hair was always combed straight back like a mobster. Thrust said at the St. E's ER how the ER crew had been quick and ingenious about getting Gately out of the vet and onto a double-width gurney, though they did have some trouble lifting the gurney so they could get the legs with wheels set up underneath it, uh, under it so the guys in white could roll him in with more guys in white walking briskly alongside of him and leaning over him and applying pressure and barking little orders and terse code like they always do in ERs and everything like that in emergencies. Thrust says he couldn't tell if they could tell right away it was a spectacular gunshot wound, Nobody used the G word or anything like that. Thrust had babbled something about a chainsaw while Pat nodded furiously. The chief two things Gately kept blinking rhythmically to try to find out were, did anybody end up getting killed, meaning the Nux, and has this one certain ADA type figure that always wore a hat come in from Essex County or given any sign of getting wind of Gately's whereabouts or involvement? And so really three things. And will any of the Ennett House residents that were right there on the scene from start to finish look respectable enough on paper to have creditability as in, like, legally legal witnesses? Plus, he wouldn't mind knowing what the fuck Thrust was thinking of, scaring Lens off and letting him screw off into the urban night, leaving Gately maybe holding the statutory bag. Most of Calvin Thrust's legality experience was filmic and petty vice. Thrust eventually describes that one of the house manager's key coups of quick thinking was doing a quick TP scan and finding out which of the residents out there milling around with the catatonics on the street had up-in-the-air legal issues, 
such that they needed to be secloistered in the, pro- in the protected area of the house out of legal sight by the time the BPD's finest hit the scene. He says in his view, it was lucky for Gately that he, Gately, was such a massive son of a bitch and had so much blood because even so, Gately lost huge volumes of blood all over people's upholstery and was in shock and everything like that by the time they got him on the double with Gurney, his face cheese-colored and his lips blue and muttering all this shock-type stuff. But even so here, he, Gately, was not exactly ready for a GQ cover, but still sucking air. Thrust said in the waiting room at the ER, where they wouldn't let a working man smoke down there either. He said then, the arrogant new girl resident in the White Vale had up and tried to take Thrust's inventory for letting Randy L. resign and decamp before his part in Gately's legal embryoglio could be nailed down. And Pat M. had been pretty unconditionally loving about it, but it was obvious she wasn't thrilled with thrust tactics either and everything like that. Gately blinked furiously to signify his agreement with Joel's position. Calvin Thrust gestured stoically with his cigarette and said he told Pat M. the truth. He always told the truth, no matter how unpleasant for himself today. He said that he'd encouraged... Uh, He said he'd said he'd encouraged Lenz to Ricky Tick out of there because otherwise he was afraid that he, Thrust, was going to eliminate Lenz's map on the spot out of rage. Lenz's solenoid appeared to have been on the permanent dicky because the rusty duster was seen by new resident Amy J. real early the next a.m. getting towed from its wrong side of the street spot in front of number three when Amy J. slunk back to the house all jonesy and hung over to get her hefty bag full of evicted personal shit. Lenz apparently having abandoned his wheels and fleeing off by foot during all the finest confusion and static with the ambulance drivers that, who could blame them, didn't want to take Canadians because of horrible paperwork for health card reimbursement for NUX. <laughs> oh, God. So that's what one detail just to point out is that even amid the uh, chaos of this unbelievable scene, there is one girl who is a new r- resident who went out and got drunk last night and had to... Uh, and decided to basically kick herself out of the house. That that just happens in like a normal night too. That the yes. turnover at this place is so crazy. Yes, uh, I caught the, I caught that. I also enjoyed them put uh, the detail that whatever the integrated health care system of North America is, it is still uh, difficult to obtain and bureaucratize health care for Canadians on American soil. It's too bad. Yeah, that is accurate. More accurate than having high-speed rail at this time. Hopefully, if we got an Odin, we would absorb Canada's healthcare system, but I know it would be the other way around. It would. We would ruin it. The house manager had gone so far as planting herself out in front of the house's locked front door with her not-all-that-small arms and legs spreading out, blocking the door, assertively stating at whatever finest tried to enter that Ennett House was court-mandated, protected by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and could only be entered with a court order and three working days mandated time for the House to file an injunction and wait for a ruling, and the finest and even the booger-eating morons from EMPHH security were successfully held in bay and kept out, therefore, by her alone and Pat M. was considering rewarding the house manager's coolness under fire by promoting her to assistant director next month when the present assistant director left to go get certified in jet engine maintenance at East East Coast Aerotech on a mass rehab grant. Gately's eyes keep rolling up in his head, only partly from pain. Unless he actually had a lit gasper going, Calvin Thrust always had this way of being only technically wherever he was. There was always this air of imminent departure about him, like a man whose beeper was about to sound. 
It's like a lit gasper was psychic ballast for him or something. Everything he said to Gately seemed like it was going to be the last thing he said right before he looked at his watch and slapped his forehead and left. <laughs> Thrust said whatever that, uh, whatever that nook that the residents alleged shot him, shot him with was serious ordinance because there'd been bits of Gately's shoulder and bowling shirt all over the complex's little street. Thrust pointed at the huge bandage and asked whether they'd talked to Gately yet about was he going to get to keep what was left of the mutilated shoulder and arm. Gately found that the only audible sound he could make sounded like a run-over kitten. Thrust men- mentioned that Danielle S. had been over to mass rehab with Bert F.S. and had reported how they were doing miraculous things with prosthesis these days. Gately's eyes were rolling around in his head and he was making pathetic little scared aspirated sounds as he pictured himself with a hook and parrot and patch making piratical R-matey sounds from the AA podium. He felt a terrible certainty that the whole nerve assembly network that connected the human voice box to the human mind and let somebody ask for crucial legal and medical feedback must run right through the right human shoulder. All kinds of fucking shunts and crazy interconnections with nerves, he knew. He imagined himself with one of those solar cell electric shaver voice box prosthesis he has to hold up to his throat, maybe with his hook trying to carry the message with it from the podium, sounding like an automatic teller or ROM audio interface. Gately wanted to know what day the next day was and whether any of Lenz's knucks had been demapped and what the official capacity of the guy was in the hat who'd been sitting just outside the door to the room either last night or the night before, his hat's shadow cast in a kind of parallelogram across the open doorway. And if the guy was still there, assuming the sight of the guy's hatted shadow had been valid and not phantasmic, and he wondered how they went about cuffing you if one of your arms' shoulder was, was mutilated and the size of your head. If Gately took anything deeper than a half-breath, a mind-bending sheet of pain goes down his right side. He even breathed like a sick kitten, more like throbbing than breathing. Thrust said Hester Thrale had apparently disappeared sometime during the freakus and never came back. Gately could remember her running, screaming off into the urban night. Thrust said her Alfa Romeo got towed the next AM right along with Valenza's bum duster, and her stuff's been duly bagged and is on the porch and everything familiar like that. Thrust said they found this mysteriously huge stash of high-quality Irish luggage during the staff search of Lenz's room, and the house looks to be fixed for trash and eviction bags for the next fiscal year. We, of course, remember why Lenz was using those garbage bags. Oh, yes. For killing animals. Yes. Tag him and bag him. Discharge residents' bags possessions stay on the porch for three days, and Gately's trying to calculate the present date from this fact. Thrust says Emil Mindy got a full house restriction for getting observed removing one of Hester Thrill's undergarments from her bag on the porch for reasons nobody much wants to speculate about. Kate Gompert and Ruth Van Cleve supposedly went to hit an N.A. meeting in Inman Square and got supposedly mugged and separated, and then only Ruth Van Cleve showed up back at the house, and Pat's sworn out a PC warrant for Gompert because of the girl's other psych and suicide issues. Gately discovers he doesn't even all that much care whether anybody thought to call Stavros L. at the Shattuck about Gately's day job. Thrust smoothed, smoothed his hair back and said, what else? Let's see. <laughs> Johnette Foltz is so far covering Gately's shifts and said to say he's in her prayers. Chandler Faust finished out his nine months and graduated but came back the next morning and hung around for morning meditation, which has got to be a good sign sobriety-wise for the old chandulator. (laughs) 
Jennifer Belvin did get indicted on the bad check issue up in Wellfleet Circuit Court, but they're going to let her finish out her residency at the House before anything goes to trial, which her PD said graduating the House is guaranteed to get her bit cut in at least half. The assistant director had gone up to court with Belvin on her own time. Dooney Glynn's still laid up with a deveritis thing. Uh, uh, Simonize my baby when I'm gone. And can be neither coaxed, co- coaxed nor threatened uh, out of his fe- fetal position in bed. And the house manager is trying to breast work through the red tape at health to get them to okay him to admission to St. E's, even though he's got insurance fraud on his yellow sheet, part of his own past wreckage. A guy that had gone through the house back when Thrust did and had stayed sober in AA for four solid years had suddenly up out of, out of nowhere slipped up and took the first drink the same day as the lens freakus and predictably ended getting totally shitface uh, and went and fell off the end of the Fort Point Pier, like literally took a long walk on a short pier apparently and sank like a rock and the memorial service is today, which is why Thrust is going to have to take off in a second here, he says. <laughs> A guy that had gone through the house back when Thrust did. Okay. Wow. The new kid Tingly is coming out of the linen closet for up to an hour at a time and is taking solid food. And Johnette's quit lobbying to have the kid sent over to Met State. The even newer new guy, now that's come in to take Chandler Foss's spot, is Dave Kay and is one grim story to behold, Thrust assures him, a junior executive guy at Ask Me Air Displacement, an upscale guy with a picket house. <laughs> A picket house and kids and a worried wife with tall hair who this kid's Dave K's, uh, who this Dave K's bottom was he drank half a liter, a liter of Cuerva at some ask me interdependence day office party and everything like that and got in some insane drunken limbo dance challenge with a rival executive and tried to limbo under a desk or a chair or something insanely low and got his spine all fucked up in a limbo lock, maybe permanently. So, oh, yes. So the newest new guy scuttles around the Ennett House living room like a crab, his scalp brushing the floor and his knees trembling with effort. Ah, it's uh, amazing how these things come back. The uh, several episodes again, we were like, why does this guy crab walk everywhere? Ah, and I knew that you said that you in the back of your mind, you knew that there was a reason for this, (laughs) but you forgot if it had come before or come after, which is a good shout out to the annular nature of the book. Indeed. I'm glad we found that out. Limbo limbo accident. Danielle S. thinks Bert F.S. might have batorial ammonia or some kind of chronic lung thing. And Jeff D. is trying to get the other residents to sign a petition to get Bert barred from the kitchen and dining room because Bert can't cover his mouth when he coughs, understandably. As the guy with no, no arms. I could, like... Re- read an entire novella that is just one monologue of this guy recounting drama from his life and so anyway anyways anything everything like that uh thrust says clinette h and yolanda w are taking meals in their room and are under orders not to come down or go near any windows because of what happened to the map of the nuck they allegedly stomped and everything like that gately mews and blinks like mad Thrust says everybody's being real supportive of Jenny B and encouraging her to turn the Wellfleet indictment over to her higher power. The shed staff are still rolling the catatonic lady's wheelchair over from the shed to the house on scheduled AMs. And Thrust says Johnette has to write up Minty and Deal for putting one of those gag arrows that are curved in the middle and looks like there's an arrow through your head over the catatonic lady's paralyzed head yesterday and leaving her slumped by the TP like that all day. Plus Thrail's panties 
So suddenly in 12 hours, Minty's just one more offense away from getting the shoe, which Thrust is already personally shining the tip of his very sharpest shoe in hopes. Uh, Emil Minty, just as a reminder, I believe he has the the N-word tattooed on him. He's kind of like a hard, tough, like possibly like racist punk. Uh, not, not Not a house favorite, I think, from anybody. The biggest issue at the house bitch and complaint meeting was that earlier this week, it turns out Clinette H had brung in this whole humongous shitload of cartridges. She said they were getting ready to throw in the dumpster up at the swank tennis school up the hill she works at. And she promoted them and hauled them down to the house. And the residents all have a wild hair because Pat says staff has to preview the cartridges for suitability and sex before they can be put out for the residents. And the residents are all bitching that this will take forever. And it's just the fucking staff hoarding the new entertainment when the house's TP is just about on his hands and knees in the entertainment desert starving for new entertainment. McDade bitched at the meeting that if he had to watch Nightmare on Elm Street 22, the senescence, one more time, he was going to take a Brody off the house's roof. Plus, maybe like five more minutes, and then we'll wrap it. Almost accurate, but uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is not the 80s horror franchise that has persisted longest into the 21st century. Although they keep trying to uh, do stuff like that, it would it would have been more accurate if he had said Halloween 22. We're, we're on our way. Plus... Thrust says Bruce Green hasn't shared word one to staff about his feelings about anything to do with Lens or Gately's embryoglio, that he just sits around waiting for somebody to read his mind, that his roommates have complained that he thrashes and shouts about nuts and cigars in his sleep. Calvin Thrust, four years sober, straddling the backwards chair, keeps inclining himself ever more forward in the posture of a man who's at any moment going to push up out of the chair and leave. He reports how something deep in the previously hopeless arrogant seeming tiny Yule seems like it's broken and melted spiritually speaking the guys shaved off his Kentucky chicken beard was heard weeping in the five man head and was observed by Johnette taking out the kitchen trash in secret even though his chore this week was office windows thrust has discovered fine fine dining in sobriety and has the beginning of chins his hair is slicked back with odorless stuff at all times and he has a more or less permanent sore on his upper lip Gately, for some reason, keeps imagining Joelle Van Dyne dressed as Madame Psychosis, sitting in a plain chair in the three-woman room, eating a peach and looking out the open window at the crucifix atop St. Elizabeth's Hospital's prolix roof. The crucifix isn't big, but it's up so high it's visible from most anywhere in Enfield, Brighton. Sees Joelle delicately pulling the veil out to get the peach up under it. Thrust says Charlotte Treat's T-cell count is down. She's needle-pointing Gately, some kind of get-better-a-day-at-a-time, assuming that's God's will, doily. But it's been slow going because Treats developed some kind of goopy virus-related eye infection that's got her bumping into walls, and her counselor Maureen N. at the staff meeting wanted Pat to consider having her transferred to an HIV halfway house up in Everett that's got some recovering addicts in there. Morris Hanley, speaking of T-cells, has baked some cream cheese brownies for Gately as a nurturing gesture, but then the twats at the Trauma Wings nurse's station like impounded them from thrust when he came up. But he'd had a couple on the way over in the blood-stained vet, and he could assure Don that Hanley's brownies were worth killing a loved one for and everything like that. Gately feels a sudden rush of anxiety of, of the, over the issue of who's cooking the house supper in his absence. Like, will they know to put cornflakes in the meatloaf for texture? He finds Thrust insufferable and wishes he'd just fucking go already, but has to admit he's less conscious of the horrific pain when somebody's there. 
but that that's mostly because the drowned panic of not being able to ask questions or have any input into what somebody's saying is so awful it sort of dwarfs the pain. Thrust puts his unlit gasper behind his ear, where Gately predicts hair tonic will render it unsmokable, looks conspiratorially around back over each shoulder, leans in so his face is visible between two bars of the bed's side railing, and bathes Gately's face in old eggs and smoke as he leans in and quietly says that Gately will be psyched to hear that all the residents that were at the embryoglio, except Lens and Thrail and the ones that aren't in a legal position to step forward and like that, he says... He says that most of them all come forward and file depositions, that the BPD's finest, plus some rather weirder federal guys with goofy-looking archaic crew crew cuts, probably involved because of the, like, inter-own element of the Nux, here Gately's big heart skips and sinks, have come around and voluntarily admitted inside on Pat's written okay, and they took depositions, which is like testifying on paper. And the depositions look to be basically 110% behind Don Gately and support a justifiable seniorio of either self, self-defense or lens defense. Several testimonies indicate the Nux gave the impression of being under the influence of aggressive type substances. The single biggest problem right now, Thrust says, Pat says, is the missing alleged item, as in the 44 item Gately was plugged with whereabouts are missing, Thrust says. The last resident to depose to seeing it was Green, who says he took it away from the NUC, the N-word girls stomped, uh, <laughs> whereupon he, Green, says he dropped it on the lawn, whereupon it like vanished from legal view. Thrust says that in his legal view, the item's the thing that makes the difference between a seniorio of iron-shod self-defense and of one of maybe just a huge fucking beef in which Gately got mysteriously plugged at some indefinite point while rearranging a couple Canadian maps with his huge bare hands. Gately's heart is now somewhere around his bare, hairy shins at the mention of federal crew cuts. He's, his attempted plea for Thrust to come out and say, did he actually kill anybody? Did he? Sounds like that crushed kitten again. The pain of the terror is past standing, and it helps him surrender and quit trying, and he relaxes his legs and decides Thrust gets to not say whatever he wants, that the reality right the second is that he's mute and powerless over Thrust. Thrust leans in and hugs the back of the chair and says Clinette Henderson and Yolanda Willis are on full house restriction to keep them from coming down and maybe fucking themselves over legally in a deposition, because the knuck with the plaid hat with the ear flaps and the missing alleged item had expired on the spot from a spike heel through the right eye, as he was only getting uh, as he was getting the shit stomped out of him as only female and words can stomp and everything like that. And Yolanda Willis had uh, very shrewdly left the shoe almost done and spike heel right there, protruding from the guy's map with her toe prints all over its insides, meaning presumably the shoes. So producing the item was going to be in her strong legal interest too, as well as Thrust analyzes the legal landscape. Thrust says Pat's limped around and appealed to every single resident personally, and everybody submitted more or less voluntarily to a room and property search and everything like that, and still no large caliber item has turned up, though Nell Gunther's hidden oriental knife collection sure made an impression. (laughs) Thrust predicts it'll be strongly in Gately's legal judicial interest and everything like that to ransack his brain and mind for where and with who he last saw the alleged gun. The sun was starting to go down over the West Newton Hills through the double-sealed windows now, trembling slightly, and the window light against the far wall was ruddled and bloody. The heater vents kept making a sound like a distant parent gently shushing. When it starts to get dark out is when the ceiling breathes, and everything like that. (laughs) Uh, So, 
Only one of the Canadians was killed, but it was through a spike heel through the eye. An interesting reflection of what uh, what the uh, SSANs do to um, uh, one of the brothers, right? Railroad spike through the eye. It's... Uh, <laughs> Hello. Hello. Now we are now we are next to each other. <laughs> um, well, I it's it's certainly. I, I guess my first thought is uh, that there should be basically a patient client confidentiality if you have to go to a hospital. Like they should not be allowed to arrest you while you are in a hospital. I'm sure there's actually rules on that. I my my thought is, boy, a ring camera would have cleared all this up immediately. <laughs> the argument for a ring camera has never been stronger. It's interesting that uh, uh, DFW thought about um, the future as one of entertainment and screens, but not surveillance. Yes, uh, that is true. Even though uh, you know, I I, I don't I don't know why that is. Uh, obviously, surveillance. Uh, he he didn't know Obama was coming. Let's put it that way. Uh, that's true. I, I feel like that is. Though that is like kind of another strain of of '90s paranoia is like the fear of like CCTV cameras. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that maybe that's more of like a British thing. I feel like that's the uh, mm-hmm. like I can imagine like a a Banksy style piece where it's a, a Bobby, but their their head has been replaced with a CCTV camera. I'm just thinking how the biggest scandal of surveillance had not quite happened when this book came out, which was uh, uh, the Monica Lewinsky affair and how that that how did that come out? She she told Linda Tripp about it. Uh, yes. Uh, the editor of the Atlantic's mother convinced Linda Tripp to wear a wire while she talked to Monica Lewinsky and then gave that information to the guy who hosts the, uh, Skullduggery podcast for Yahoo. Yeah. Who's the journalist? So, Something like that. All those like 90s style journalists and like magazine editors were all just having a field day. It was like a giant news buffet for them. <laughs> it's such a sim- such a simpler time. Imagine, imagine giving a shit about the president getting a blowjob. Although it would be genuinely fucking hilarious to find out <laughs> Joe Biden got a blowjob in the office. Oh my God. Oh God. It would just be more surprising than anything. Like, wow. Good for you, man. <laughs> Nicely done. How old are you? Like 98 years old? Yes. yeah god let's hope that doesn't happen for for all of our sakes but anyway well i feel like everybody's response would be like okay uh sure (laughs) well moving on wait no here's another uh it's a banksy piece that's um it's that famous tenement square photo of the man standing in front of the tanks Mm -hmm. uh although it's a little boy with like a red balloon and then all the the tanks are in a row, but all their gun turrets have been replaced with CCTV cameras. Nice. I just I had another ba- a thought for a pitch for Banksy art, which is like a, a important man presidentially sitting at a desk, uh, signing a paper that says "War approved," and then underneath the desk, you see someone secretly giving him a beach. Yes, uh, this is great. We sucking the <laughs> dick of power. <laughs> somebody, somebody should let us be guest editors for next month's edition of Adbusters. I should. I don't think that AI um, uh, image generators are that good yet, but I'll see if I can run a, a Banksy style art piece through an AI image generator. I think you might have to put in several different prompts, but I think you can get basically what you're what you're looking for. Mm. Uh, what what if the cops were a camera? 
Oh God! What if the what if the president was a penis? Um. Anyway, yes. To circle way back, it is true that, um, you know. But that's the thing. Maybe lesser uh, lesser satirists are like the the um. The surveillance is the problem, but the higher satirization of Wallace was like, no, you surveilling things is the problem. Yes. Um, Which eyeball is bad? The one watching you or the or your eyeball watching other things? Then you get the spike heel through the eyeball and then you don't get to watch anything anymore. Uh, uh, big, big trouble. Lots of drama. Well, love the, the recap of, of the drama that includes, you know, not, not just Don... Don's issues, uh, which he's, he's waiting forever to hear. Did I kill anybody? And is the ADA who hates me after me? Instead, so has to hear about like random residents who are like, mm, "Yep, they're going to jail for uh, fake check, check fraud." Fuck. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but it, it is kind of perfect because that you have to get the deluge of um, you know uh, minor information, unimportant information. Yeah, that there is. It's like watching cable. It's like watching TV news, you know, where you just like this endless deluge of minutia before you get anything interesting in it. But I, I, hey, I was having a great time catching up on all the edit house gossip. Um, I'm glad to learn about the crab man. Me too. It's <laughs> funny. Wiggling it around. Um, I don't know. Anything, anything else? This is a very like kind of laundry list. There's not, there's not a lot of abstraction in this one. It's pretty much just things that have happened. I mean, it's interesting hearing the people who just straight up ran away um, out of the, out of this thing. <clears throat> so you have some kind of legal protection by being in Ennett House, like you you can just hide in the, like the back rooms there, and cops are legally not allowed to like come in. Yeah, I don't know if it's realistic to what actual laws are, but yeah, you need like a three day. You basically need to give three days of advance to like get like a warrant and have it be like file. You can't just like pop in. So. Uh, which is nice, you know the power. The power of sobriety is more important than uh, whatever the the legal things that you you need to deal with. I love all the little details about like you know doing an emergency search of the entire house for um, contraband and finding things like one guy's Chinese knife collection, which is like something I feel like a perfectly observed little detail because you can totally imagine like people that would come up with this and be like, okay, I've got like my my three outfits and then what is precious to me in this world this like leather pouch of like chinese knives i got at like the asian store in the mall do you remember the asian store of course i remember the asian store well also i think i believe it's hester threll so it's a girl and i believe she's a former prostitute which makes me it's it's giving a it's giving like a knife knife fights with john's uh type of type of thing uh yes sure um yeah i'm i I care about all these people and uh, wish them wish them well on their recovery and hope this uh this speed bump of of spectacular violence in their front yard doesn't disrupt their their uh, 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 frail ecosystem too much. Me me too. <laughs> I'm of all of all the people in this book I'm I'm rooting for these people the most. Yeah. Even Emil Minty who sucks. Yeah. Uh well it is I I do think that it is kind of funny how it comes through you know the the point of this is that there is like a weird solidarity uh between all these people and that there is a, a bit of a despite everybody being on, on their own again insane frail journey that that there is an ability to kind of band together and be like all right <laughs> a disaster has happened what needs to get done to like protect everyone here you know 
in a in a very like criminal style way where everything is like uh filtered through the lens of like you know do we get, how do we do this without like getting arrested or like you know get, getting in trouble or whatever I, th- I had another thought. Oh, my one last thought, which I just think is a funny detail, is that when they're mem- mentioning the brand names of all these cars, that, that all of these addicts have, like, really ab- absurd cars, like an Alfa Romeo. Yes. Uh, and then, like, Pat, Pat's got her Aventura. Uh, Calvin's got the the vet. Um, wh- whatever weird thing um, Lens has that I can't remember. And then, uh, obviously, the murdered out, uh, 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 simonized black VW bug just it, it it's it it's giving like got this car in a weird way or like got this car with like an infusion of cash that I got from some unseemly activity yes it it's it is it is a great detail and I also clocked that the Alfa Romeo was the one that really just put it over <laughs> put it over the top but yeah the Corvette and stuff um yeah and you know what the uh, yes uh the funny thing is is that my uh in recovery stepfather who is very much like an, an a long-term aa dude also was not well off but also had a really nice car <laughs> yeah which is like it, it is the kind of thing where oh, i i don't know what that mindset is like when you yeah the, the all these, these people are the type of people that like when you get a little bit of money whether it was when they were riding high in their legit jobs or yeah just like a little infusion of cash what is the first thing that you do is by not, you know, not a real nice car like a Mercedes, but a showy nice car like yeah, a Corvette. Like a Corvette, yes. Um, all right, we've got we've got a few minutes to get ready for our first activity of the day. So we got to go. Brunch time. It's, ta- it's time. It's brunch time. It's brunch time. It's brunch time. It's, it's brunch, brunch time. time. It's, it's brunch, brunch time. time. <laughs> it's brunch time. <laughs>